church. Today we're back in um, God's Word. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our sermon series called Oxygen. Our focus is on the essentials of life and this is our sixth week in and last week we begin a two-week focus on prayer. And if you missed last week's message, I'm asking you to, to please go online and listen to that message so you can know where we are, but also so you can just get an understanding of of prayer and what it means to have a strong prayer life, to have that communication with God and just to know what prayer is and why we need to pray. To know those things leads us into what we're going to talk about today is uh, really the how. It's easy to, you know, kind of get the what is prayer and why we should pray, but knowing how and enacting that in our life, in our spiritual life, is really key. So if you would listen online, that would be great. You can listen at clearpoint.org or clearpoint.tv, and uh, those are there for you uh, to take advantage of and listen anytime you'd like. But it's so important because prayer is essential to who we are in, in our spiritual lives. We want to learn prayer and we want to live prayer. We want to make it as normal in our lives as breathing oxygen. And uh, so we're going to review here just for a minute. Today's going to look a little bit different. I have some help for the sermon today. <clears throat> I'm going to preach part of it. Heather's going to come and share part of it, and then Barry Holter is going to come and share part of it as well as we learn how to pray together. But I want to review just quickly on your notes, the front part of your notes, is it's filled out, and uh, it's a review of what we shared last week. First of all, prayer is the oxygen for our spiritual life. <clears throat> prayer is the oxygen for our spiritual life. If... Um, what I asked you to do last week is to think about your breathing patterns. Think about how you breathe. And I ask you the question, what if you prayed or what if you breathed like you pray? Some of us might suffocate, right? We might be gasping for air. But what if you prayed like you breathe? What if it was just a normal pattern of life? What if it just happened naturally that prayer was is essential to your life? As breathing oxygen. Something to think about. So prayer is oxygen for our spiritual life. And then second, I gave you a definition about prayer. And here's what prayer is. Prayer is freely and constantly engaging with God in your relationship with Him. It's communicating with God. It's you talking to God and then listening to what God has to say. That's, that's essentially what prayer is. That is a simple definition. Just freely and constantly engaging with Him in your relationship with him. And then we started to answer the question, why pray? And the first reason is because God's invited us to do so. I love the passage in Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. So God's invited us into prayer so that he can share with us who he is and what he wants to do on this earth and involve us in the work that he's doing. So he's invited us to do that. And then second is that prayer connects my heart to God. Prayer connects my heart to God. A heart connection is about intimacy. It's about knowing one another. It's not just that God knows us, or it's not just that we know God, but it's that we know each other. It's that we get to know one another. We grow in that relationship together. We go deeper and deeper and deeper into an intimate relationship with God to where God is sharing the secret things of His heart. The things that we've not known, so we're getting to know more and more and more about God. And as we begin to know more and more about God, we begin to reveal more of ourselves to Him as well. And God begins to not just know who we are, but He knows that we know who we are in light of who He is. So, there's a heart connection that's established through prayer. And then third, prayer creates in me a deep trust in God. It creates in me a deeper trust in God. And so... It's fine and great to learn why and the what of prayer, but we need to know how. And what I'm convinced of is that there are many of us that, that do not pray on a regular basis. We don't breathe spiritually like we should, and therefore we're not thriving as we should be spiritually. Last week I gave you some reasons. First, one reason that we don't pray is because it may be that we're not a disciple. We don't know Him. We're not, um, we haven't come into a relationship with Him. And, Second is that we're distanced by him, uh, from Him by ongoing sin. So sin stands in the way of our intimacy with God. And then third, we lack discipline. 
we just seem to not be able to find the time to do it. We don't take the time. It's not that important on our list. And so we lack the discipline to pray. Number four, we've never seen it work. Number five, we don't really understand it. Number six, we're full of doubt. We have a hard time believing that the God of the universe is really concerned about my life. One of over seven billion people on the face of the earth that God could really be involved personally in my life. And then number seven is that question or that that answer of why don't we pray? And it's simply this, that we don't know how. We don't know where to begin. Does anybody ever struggle in prayer because you don't know where to begin? I know I've struggled in that area in my life. I, I don't know what to say, God. I don't really know what to say. Well, I think that what we're going to share today will help us understand what we're supposed to say, how we're to approach God as we come to Him in prayer. So I'm going to share with you a four-step process to get your prayer life on track and to get you breathing more healthily uh, spiritually. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is addressing some issues. The issues were about religion and they were about righteousness. Religion and righteousness. And so Jesus is going to address these people that he's talking to. Some were his close disciples. Some were just learners who were in the crowd. But Jesus says this, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. This is not on the screen, by the way. This is just kind of a, a preliminary thing I'm sharing with you before I get to the passage. But he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before the people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. And so what he's addressing is he's looking at the group of people known as the Pharisees. They were the religious group. They were the ones who would fast and disfigure their faces. They were the ones who would pray in public and they would use flowery words to get people's attention so that people would say, hey, they're holy. They're godly people. We need to be like them. But what Jesus is saying, when you pray like that, you're trying to get your reward with people. You want them to praise you. You want the glory from it. and You're not directing the glory to God. So be careful how you pray when you're in public. And then he talks about giving, not to do your alms before men, that you may get the reward from them. But when you give in secret, that God will also bless you. But he doesn't bless you in secret. He blesses you openly. So he's he's coming to them and he's addressing some of these things about religion and righteousness. And then in Matthew chapter six, verse five, he says this. When you pray, when you pray. So he is he is showing us that prayer is to be a regular part of our life. Not if you pray, but when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So in this manner, therefore, pray. And we know this. This is the Lord's prayer. Our father in heaven, hallowed be be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus, right there, some people say that's the greatest prayer in all the Bible. Well, that's not really the greatest prayer in all the Bible. That is really not even a prayer. Jesus wasn't even praying when he said those words. He was teaching on prayer. But he was showing us a model that we could use to pray to God, to Approach God, because I believe that just as you and I struggle to approach God, I believe that even the disciples didn't understand how to approach God. They were just simple people like you and I. They had regular day jobs. They they just worked for a living trying to survive in a hostile world. And they wanted to know how to pray. And so I believe the most significant prayer that you and I can pray when we don't know how to pray is, God, teach us how to pray. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's given a model here for prayer, how to approach God in prayer. And so he gives us this outline because he knows that prayer is about communication. 
How do we build a strong relationship with God? On strong communication. It's about our prayer life. Husbands and wives sometimes end up on two different pages because communication breaks down. We and God are no different. We end up on two different pages because our communication breaks down. But prayer and strong communication is the foundation for a strong relationship with God. And so the outline that we're going to give you for prayer is ACTS, the acts of prayer. You've probably heard about this somewhere in your in your spiritual life as you're growing as a disciple. But the acts of prayer and the first the first letter, the A, is this is how we approach God. We approach him in adoration. We pray prayers of adoration. And when we're thinking about adoration and what adoration is, think about prayers of worship and praise. Think about intimacy with God. It's about an intimate, worshipful love relationship between you and God. And when I see Jesus come to these religious people, I see him address an issue that is somewhat uh, prevalent in our society. PDAs. Okay? Public displays of affection. And so he comes to these guys and he says, hey, your prayers are hypocritical. Because what you're doing is you're loving me in public, but there's not a lot of love and adoration and affection that you're showing toward me in private. And that's what makes our prayers hypocritical, is when we pray more publicly than we do privately. And that's what he is saying here as he's teaching this lesson. But I want to talk to you about PDAs in a different sense. I'm talking about private displays of adoration. And I want to warn us about something. Don't pray more in public than you pray in private. Don't use more words in your prayers in public than you do in private. Don't address God more publicly than you do privately. That's what he's addressing here. And coming to God and affectionately loving him out loud with words, but not doing it privately, it's hypocritical. Because the love and the affection that we have for God it just may not be there if we're not doing it privately. Privately is where the affection and the adoration of God grows in our heart. And so real worship happens when there's deep intimacy. But let me tell you about man. Man needs affirmation. Man needs affection, but man, man needs affirmation. When I teach um, premarital counseling, we go through the love languages, and a lot of times what we find is that a man's love language, I'm not talking about women, Sometimes women have the same love language, but when we talk about love languages, most men have the love language of words of affirmation. And words of affirmation are words that are spoken that confirm that you're on the right track, you're doing the right thing, you are, you're valuable. And we get a lot of value from those words of affirmation. We need those words from our father, uh, as men, our father to give us permission to be a man and our fathers to Affirm who we are and who we are becoming as we grow in into in manhood. And sometimes we come to God and we affirm Him in words of affirmation. And we remind Him of who He is. But when we speak words to God, God doesn't need affirmation. What God's looking for is God is looking for adoration. And here's the difference. Words of affirmation confirm who someone is. Words of adoration they are confirming to us who someone else is. And out of that confirmation, knowing who God is, then we proclaim back to God that we know who God is. We're not reminding God. We're just letting him know that we know who he is. And we're recognizing him as that authority in that position. So we start out in words of adoration. And listen to this in Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. He's the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is our great God. So he is our great God. God is great. He is the great king above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his. For he made it. He and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. It's a psalm. It's a song that is written. Of, it's a song of adoration to say that God 
is who God says He is. And I just want to proclaim it and recognize that God is God. That God is good, that God is faithful, that God is creator, that God is savior. And God has the whole world in his hand. And the whole world moves and operates under his authority. And that includes my own little world. Is that God, my whole little world is under your feet. I belong to you. I adore you for who you are. So that's a prayer of adoration. And we can begin our prayers by just praying prayers of adoration. Read the book of Psalms. That will help. Well, after seeing and adoring God for who He is, we move on to another portion of prayer. Because after seeing His goodness, His character, His faithfulness, His power, His love, when we take time to praise and worship God, we're placing God where He rightfully belongs in our life. And then something else begins to happen as we are adoring God. As a result, our problems and needs begin to come into perspective. We begin to see who we are in light of who God is. And we don't need to see who we are in light of who God is based on insecurity or inferiority. But we need to see it for what it is. And here's how it works. We pray prayers of adoration. That leads us to pray prayers of confession. So we begin to pray prayers to God because we have seen the glory of God and realize that we do not measure up. We don't measure up to who God is. We don't measure up to His glory. And what comes to the surface is the reality of our sinfulness. The reality of our sinfulness. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's telling us that we don't measure up, that we can't be holy and righteous on our own. It's not by deeds that we do, it's by the grace that we receive from God. And so it's not out of insecurity or inferiority. But what it is out of, is out of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so as we pray and get a realization of who we are, what God is doing is He is showing us who we are. And that's called conviction. So conviction is not shown to us from God. It's not showing us that we're sinful so that we will shy away in shame or that we will uh, be overwhelmed with the guilt of our own sin and wrongdoing. But conviction means this. It means to convince someone of the truth. That's what conviction is. To convince someone of the truth. And God convicts of the truth about our sin and the truth regarding our need for a Savior. And His forgiveness. And so out of that conviction, we begin to confess to God. And here's what confess is. Confess is to say something to someone in agreement. So when God shows us the truthfulness of our sin, we confess back to Him that we agree. That's not always the easiest thing to do. When God reveals in us a sinful thing, a sinful habit, a sinful action... He shows us the truth of that, and then we bear the burden of saying, God, I I agree. I agree with what you're saying. And then we confess that sin to God. And God takes it, and God deals with it. And here's how it happens. Isaiah chapter 6, it's like this. Isaiah was a prophet. He comes into the temple to worship, and he gets a view of the glory of God. He sees the glory of God, and out of that he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah, as he saw the glory of God, was moved to confess to God that he didn't measure up. And what we know is the seraphim flew down, and he took tongs, and he took a coal off the, off the fire, and he touched those to the lips of Isaiah as an act of atonement and forgiveness. When we confess our sin, it leads us to change. It leads us to to see that we don't measure up to God, but that God will enact forgiveness in our life and He'll raise us up. Not that we have to work to achieve, but God will do the achieving for us to make us holy and righteous. And it has nothing to do with us, except that we confess our sin and we agree with Him. 
First John chapter one says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is what I've found. I have a hard time confessing. I have a hard time confessing my sin. It takes me a little while to agree to God or with God. I'm a justifier of my actions many times. But what I've found is that confession is a cleanser of the Spirit. It allows me to breathe a little bit easier spiritually. And it solidifies my relationship with Him and helps me to have more time with God and be more willing to pray. First of all, prayers of adoration and prayers of confession. It brings me into harmony with Christ. Heather's going to come and share with you the next letter. So the four-step process begins with adoration. It continues with confession. The T on your outline is Thanksgiving. We must pray prayers of thanksgiving. But I really enjoy going down to the track or going out in my neighborhood and going for a nice jog. I really like it when I'm jogging on the track and I know when I've completed a mile or two miles or three miles. I'm not going to kid you and ever say that I've run more than three miles, so we'll end right there. But I had a great experience with the Lord just a few short weeks ago in that we went down to the track and... I like to run because it's really a time when it's me and God all alone. And sometimes I'll listen to praise music on my phone or listen to a Focus on the Family daily broadcast. But there are other times when I just like to be jogging around that track in solitude before the Lord. And I remember that day, the very first lap of the the first mile that I ran, I had so much angst in my heart, and I was really just crying out to the Lord out of frustration. Lord, how come you're not doing this? How come you're not giving me this? How come you're not fixing this? Just crying out before the Lord, petitioning Him and petitioning Him and petitioning Him. And when I finished that mile, my heart was beating a lot faster than it should be because I was really upset that God wasn't doing what I wanted Him to do. (laughs) I really was trying to put myself in the position of God and tell God what he needed to do to to fix my life. You know, like it's like the Santa Claus God mentality. That I come to you and I share with you my wishes, and I even quote some scriptures about, you know, everything that we ask, you'll give it to us if we don't ask amiss. So I'm not asking amiss because this is my will, so it must be yours. You know, I throw those scriptures in the face of God and say and demand God, you must answer my prayers. You must give me what I want. Like that spoiled brat sitting before Santa demanding all the things that they want. And so I I rounded a second lap, just kind of stewing in that pain and frustration. And the Holy Spirit of the living God just moved in my heart and said, this next lap, this last lap you're going to run, I want you just to pray prayers of thanksgiving and praise. And I thought, well, I really don't want to do that. I really want to spend this time telling God some more about all the things that I want and need and all the things that he should do. And and maybe he just doesn't quite understand. And maybe if I just convince him more and explain more fully why I need him to respond like I'm expecting him to respond. And again, the presence of the Lord just spoke to me and said, pray prayers of thanksgiving. And I'm going to confess to you that that was very, very difficult for me to do. And I would even find myself, as I would pray a phrase of, pray a, a phrase of prayer and thanksgiving, my inclination was to lunge back into those prayers of petition. God, thank you that you are so good. And because you are so good, would you please? Oh, nope. Thanksgiving only. And so I really think that if we'll look together at Colossians chapter 3, there are three important steps. They're going to help us see how, first of all, how important praising God is, how important a posture of thankfulness is, 
and how ungodly we can really be when our view of God is the grantor of all of our wishes and how thanksgiving and a thankful heart can help us eradicate that in our life and have a much clearer understanding of the character and nature of God. There are three quick things that I want to share with you about thanksgiving, which is really just an appreciation for God and an appreciation for the beneficial relationship. It is not wrong to ask God for blessings. It is not wrong to ask God to intervene. It is not wrong to ask God for healing. It is not wrong to ask God for help. But it is wrong to expect God to answer all your wishes without ever stopping to enter into a time of thanksgiving and praise to Him. So let's look first in Colossians chapter 3. And I want to talk to you about thanksgiving and that it's so important for us to have a heart of thanksgiving. It is so important for us, first of all, to understand our position. And I think a lot of times we don't understand our position, our position as we relate to the God of the universe. Because we don't understand that position, we, we, we do pray amiss. We ask God and expect God to be our Santa Claus, the grantor of all of our wishes. But in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, if you'll look there with me for just a minute, it says this. So put to death. Wow, this must be important. What are we going to get to put to death? Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I love the NLT because I love the clarity that I find in that word, the sinful things lurking within you. And you've got to admit that when you begin to pray those those prayers before the Lord and ask Him of all these things, that a lot of times they do come from a place of those sins that are lurking within us. Let's real quickly look at that list of sins. Have nothing to do with, here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, worshiping, things of the world. And here's where God gives us our position. It says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 7, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Do you see how clarifying our position with God helps our prayers of petition come into line with prayers of thanksgiving? See, when we begin to kick out these lurkers from our life, when we begin to understand and realize that those are things from our past, those are the things that we used to do, our prayers of petition change. And it's no longer praying for things of this world. But we begin to understand our position and we begin to pray for things of heaven. Let's read on in chapter 3, verse 8, it says, it's that list of lurkers and now he's going to tell us what happens when we understand our position. He says in verse 8, But now is the time to get rid of, what are the things that we need to get rid of? Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. He continues in verse 9, get rid of lies. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. And then verse 10 he says this, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Matthew Henry in his commentary said this, it's necessary to mortify sins, to kill them, to erase them, to eradicate them. Because if we do not kill them, they will kill us. That first lap that I was running, I was literally in this struggle telling God all these things that I wanted from that list of lurkers and sinful desires in my heart. And those things that were motivated by my old position my position before I was a new creation. And so the first step to being able to pray prayers of thanksgiving is to understand your position before God. And then the second thing is power. So many times we're powerless in prayer. We're to thank God because we don't understand that he's given us a new position and that he's given us the ability to out, to kill those lurkers in our life. If you look at Colossians 3.12, it says this, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. So he's going to give us a new list. We know the list of lurkers and now we get our new list. What are we going to clothe ourselves in now? We've stripped off the old clothing of sinful flesh and sinful desires. Those things that give us angst in our heart when God doesn't give us what we want. And then we're going to clothe ourselves newly in verse 12. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, 
patience in verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you, remembering that the Lord forgave you so you forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace and to always be thankful. Do you understand the power that comes after you understand your position and that those lurkers from your old life can be kicked out, killed, eradicated, and that you have the power to clothe yourself in this new life? As I was running that first lap around that track and feeling that angst in my heart and upset with God for not giving me everything that I wanted, those lurkers were so powerfully influencing my life. But when I choose to believe that I can take those things off and clothe myself in God's love and humility and mercy and tender love and kindness and forgiveness, I think that begins to move my heart with a new, the last P I'm going to share with you is passion. With a new passion. Because when I really understand the depths of what God has done for me, when I really understand the things that He's given me the power to kick out of my life through His Holy Spirit, when He's really called me and given me the power to clothe myself in humility and love and kindness and service to others and a quick ability to forgive, that's when I get a new passion. And I'm going to tell you that as I rounded that final bin, after spending about 10 to 12 minutes jogging that last lap, disciplining myself to only pray prayers of thanksgiving, I experienced worship like I've never before known. And all those things that I was praying in that first lap, those demands that I was making before my God, it didn't matter anymore. The frustration was gone. The need to control God was gone. And it was just me and God worshiping. You know, as we finish this, I just want you to look at this last scripture in Colossians that I want to share with you today because it's so important. It talks about how we can get this passion. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, the very first verse of that chapter is, as Paul's really teaching the church at Colossae how to live life. This is really a chapter that he's using to show them how they should function in every area of their life, their family, their marriages. Look at this. It says in verse 1, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, that's our position, we've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. That's my time's up. For you died to this life. For you, verse three, sorry. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse four, and when Christ who is your life. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of His glory. You know, this powerful scripture right here is really sharing with us exactly what Thanksgiving looks like. Thanksgiving is not just thanking God for all the things that he's done for us by giving us this desire and this wish and granting this. You know, my kids are always super thankful on Thanksgiving on Christmas morning. I think they're a lot more thankful on Christmas morning than they are on Thanksgiving morning. Why? Because we so often tie our acts of Thanksgiving to the things that we get. And I really think that this scripture and this passage in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is admonishing and teaching the church in Colossae that when we understand what we already have, our prayers of petition will diminish and our prayers of thanksgiving will grow. We'll spend so much time praising and thanking God when we understand what we've already been given that our petitions will only be a reflection of our heart to serve and love and worship Him more. 
So in order to enter into this important time and season of praying Thanksgiving, understand your position as a loved one of Christ. Understand your position as a new creation. Understand the power that you have to overcome those lurkers and kick those negative things out of your life and clothe yourself in the character and nature of God. And then you'll have a new passion. And that new passion won't be one for things of this world and things that used to seem important. But your new passion will be to thank Him for what you've already been giving in the great gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And you'll worship Him like you've never worshipped Him before. So I'm going to encourage you this week to set aside some time, carve it out, discipline yourself to do it. To only pray prayers of thanksgiving to God. That's it. No request, no petitions, no God help me, no God give me, but only God you are. I thank you because, I thank you for, and I promise it will begin to change and revolutionize your life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder of the importance of Thanksgiving, Father. May it not just be a day in the year, but may it be the way that we live. May it be just like the air that we breathe. May we exhale with thanksgiving for you, the great, true, wonderful, and mighty God. Father, thank you for sharing your word. Encourage your people. Challenge your people to come before you with praise and thanksgiving because you are an awesome God. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. We okay? That's awesome. Ooh, got a little ring up here. I'm glad I don't have one of those little beeper things. <laughs> God is so good. I don't even know how to add to all this stuff you guys share. It's just really awesome. But I get to share on, on the fun part, and that's supplication. Or as a first grader would say, asking for stuff. But it's such a part of our life. Uh, the word supplication actually uh, is requesting or petitioning God uh, for things that we need. And the, the part in, in that definition that's important for me is it's petitioning and requesting. The actual dictionary uh, explanation is, is petitioning and requesting to someone in authority as you ask for your needs and your and your requests. And so for me, uh, recognizing the authority that I'm going to is important, as they've been sharing, as they've also been sharing. Understanding that we're not that we're not coming to ask so much as our needs as we're coming to to join into the heart of God and begin to see from God's perspective and to begin to pray into these needs from the heart of God rather than from my little wounded, broken spot that I'm living in here, which is okay. Uh, and so when we look at that, uh, we ask God for lots of things. You know, we, we talk about worship, confession, forgiveness, thanksgiving. But for when we ask for requests for ourselves, that's called supplication. Or for others, that is supplication. When we stand in the gap, intercession, call it lots of different things. Uh, that's what we that's what we walk in. And... And there's certainly a history in the word for that. In the book of Psalms, David, David's asking all the time, coming before God and standing and saying, uh, Lord, I need your mercy. I need your leading. I need your forgiveness. I need this. I need that. He's a perfect example in the Old Testament for us of someone coming. And, you know, asking for stuff gets a bad rap in the kingdom a lot of times. A lot of times people say, well, you can't just keep asking for stuff. You know, it's, it's almost you get a feeling sometimes like, it's just not good to ask for stuff for yourself or to ask for this or that. And there's certainly things we need to pray for. But when it comes to mine, you know, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to ask for stuff for me. But I'll tell you, the precedent set up in the Word of God is come before God with all your needs, whether for yourself or for others. So David asked for all these things. And as shared earlier, uh, Jesus gave us the, the um, Jesus, Jesus gave us the example of that also in the Lord's Prayer. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, what a, what a great uh, supplication prayer that the Lord's Prayer is. Because as David asked for, for um, mercy, leading, salvation from persecution, for deliverance for himself, he asks all these things. When we look at the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 
We look at thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then it goes right into supplication. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us, sound a little bit like David, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, I can just see him teaching this teaching, and in his mind is ringing David's life as David stood before him and petitioned him for the kingdom and for himself. Supplication, near and dear to my heart. Standing in the gap, intercession. Also we're told in uh, the New Testament, Jesus in Luke 18, he talks about not giving up praying. I just wanted to throw that in there. That we, and you, you can read, uh, you can go to Luke 18, 1 through 18 and read that. But God does not want us to, to cease from praying. And there's many scriptures about that. But I think we have to approach supplication when we come before God. I think a safe way to approach that is like a little child coming up on the lap of a loving father and asking daddy for things. How many daddies get that conversation? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, It's a wonderful place to be. But yet in supplication, coming before God and getting that close, that intimacy that they talked about earlier, that's, that's where we need to be, in that intimate place. But understanding fully that it still has to end with thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That thy will be done is the understanding that we must come into. I want to go to Philippians 4, 6. And I want to read this a little slowly. It's a really important for supplication. And it starts out, be careful for nothing, but in everything give prayer. And in prayer, that translates out in the New Testament as to worship slash earnest, earnest prayer. It's a combination of prayer and worship. And I'm a big combination of prayer and worship guy. I, I don't, in my own life, if, if I can't come enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and enter his courts with praise, it's pretty hard for me to go any further into that tabernacle. And I think God laid out that principle for us early, early in the Old Testament to enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. How many of us come in here this, in the mornings with thanksgiving in our hearts and praise and a jump in our step and excitement to be with the Lord because we've spent time with him already before we got here? That's where we want to be. That's our heart's desire is to be. Yes, we have tough days. Yes, we can come in and struggle. And our brothers and sisters will come and they'll encourage us and pray for us and strengthen us. That's what we want to have. But our heart's desire is to spend time with Daddy in the morning and get up and pray and seek his face and love on him and let him love on you. And to begin to see the day that we're going to have in front of us as we meet needs for people and do different things from his perspective rather than our own perspective of where we are. It's so hard to remove ourselves from that, in, that, that place. We always want to have that little selfish person that she talked about earlier. We want to be there, and yet we want to be in the place of the Father. We want to stand with the Father and see the perspective of what's going on in our life. So earnestly, and not, uh, be careful for nothing, but in everything prayerfully, prayer, worship, and prayer, and with supplication, which means petitioning and requests, with thanksgiving, meaning gratitude, let your requests, things asked for, be known, declared, or made known unto God, who is the only one worthy to receive all of those things. So when we have the understanding and the perspective of who God is, we can take these things to him in our petitions and in our prayers. Prayer is a partnership with God. Do we understand that? We are partnering with God when we pray. Our focus must be on God. Picture. I have, uh, and my wife and I, and our one, our youngest son, uh, who actually is a traveling preacher now, speaker, uh, he had ADHD. And it was tough. We, we worked to the bone to get him through high school. And he did too. And it was difficult. But I can remember times when my wife would have, he was just bouncing all over the place and going here and going there. And we get to be that way sometimes when we're trying to pray. We're trying to think of what to pray. Our prayer times were all over the place. And I can, I can remember just taking his face and her saying, look, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. No, he, you know, look at me. Look at me. Look into my eyes. Now relax. Just slow down. Look at me. And I can just see God doing that when we come to him. We just want to be all over the place so many times. We're here, we're there. Well, she called and prayed for that, and, she, and it's just everywhere. And he's trying to slow us down, and he's just saying, look at me. Because once we look at him in the eyes, 
and behold who he is, we're going to not only begin to see with those eyes, we're going to begin to, to look into his heart and be able to see and feel his heart. And out of that close, intimate time that we're spending with him is going to be able to pray the effective prayers of a righteous man. We're going to be able to walk in that. Without that intimacy, without that closeness, without that taking off the jacket and relaxing and untying the shoes and just getting comfortable with God, we're going to find it very, very difficult to move into that place of having effective prayer for what for what we're moving towards. You can only pray to the level of your relationship with God. We found that through the years that when I when I begin to press into God more and I begin to 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 establish my relationship with him on more of a of a father son of a of a friend of brother the closer I get the more effective my prayer becoming is becoming because I can hear his voice better. I can hear what he's saying better. I can move in that better. Prayer is an intimate exchange. When you got saved, when you got saved, God came and he spoke to you, right? You heard his call in your heart. And what happened? You heard the call and you responded to that call. You came to the Lord. And as you came to the Lord, he received you, forgave you, stood you up, and he starts working in your life. Now he's teaching you to pray. And so what's he doing? He speaks to you. And when he speaks to you, you you listen, you hear what he's saying through many different ways. And so then one day as you're hearing him, one day you get bold enough where you speak to him. He speaks to you and it moves your heart. You speak to him, it moves his heart. He speaks to you, you speak to him. All of a sudden there's this, what we call, I call a holy dance, a romance where you're just loving on him and I can just see you dancing together and he's speaking to you and you're speaking back. That's the kind of relationship he wants. He's a romantic God. He wants to speak into your ears and speak into your hearts and have you do the things he wants you to do to accomplish the things he wants you accomplished. It's a dance of love. It's a dance of intimacy. He wants you to know his heart. He wants you to feel his emotions. He wants you to know that your emotions are okay. He created you that way to move into to prayer, to weep, to cry, to laugh, to enjoy his presence. Those are all part of what he's doing. Supplication depends 100% on us being able to see who daddy is and to be free and to be solid in understanding the love and the romance he has for us. Because when I experience love and romance and acceptance from my wife, my life's a whole lot better than when I'm not. Amen? Amen. So the same thing is with the Lord. He wants us to be in that place where we feel comfortable, loved, adored, and doled over because he does all those things. And when we ask, when we begin to take these petitions and, and uh, requests to the Lord, we get into his heart and we begin to see that, that as I shared earlier, that Maybe this isn't the right thing to ask. Maybe I'm not asking amiss because I'm not, I'm not hearing what God is really saying. So in petition, in supplication, there's so much involved with that same relationship that he wants us to have, that, that, that prayer relationship. It's, for me, it's blood. It's the blood of life in me the, the, to pray and to seek the Lord. And to, I don't know how you cannot spend just a few moments and begin to hear him talking to your heart and saying wonderful things to you and out giving you leadership and giving you direction. John 5.19 says, let's just go to John 5.19 first. In feeling his emotions, his longings become our longings. It's a partnership on an intimate level. And in John 5.19 it says, then Jesus, then answered Jesus and said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but he seeth what the Father do. And what things soever he seeth, then also does the Son likewise. So it's talking about that eye to eye, that his hands on your face, focusing in on you. Focus is the word, been getting all week, all month here from the Lord. Focus, 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 focus. I believe God is trying to get our focus individually, corporately, husbandly, wifely, in all areas, to begin to focus on him, to look him in the eyes, and not even asking questions, but just spend that time just 
alone and quiet with God to build up that relationship with him in your heart. I'm not saying pray more, worship more, all those things are good, but just take some time to be still before the Lord, to get alone with God and begin to, to cultivate that one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. So many times we are distracted by life, low self-esteem. Uh, we, we find ourselves just repeating old prayers that we've learned and heard in the past. We're nervously jumping all over. We aren't focusing in on the Lord. His heart wants us to focus in and be strong with him. We respond out of his love, not our experiences or our own emotions. Lord, teach us to pray. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Heather, for sharing. Um, yeah, thank you, guys. Good stuff. Um, I want to close with this. God wants us to pray, and he knows we need to know how to pray. And so sometimes we need a primer. This past week, I was at my parents' house, and just so you know, I'm about to get a new truck, okay? Um, it's really not a new truck. It's an old truck. Um, it's one that I drove in high school, and it's junk, man. It is junk, uh, and it needs a lot of work. Um, I remember when I drove this truck in high school. During cold weather, it wouldn't start in the mornings. You had to prime it. And by that, I mean you had to take the breather off, had to pour gas into the carburetor, pump the gas a little bit, and it'd go... Then do it again. Finally, it would start after, you know, some work. But then it would run, and it would run well. It runs well. It's got this big engine in it. That's why I want it. I asked my dad if I could come get it, and he said, you can have it. I can't wait. It's awesome. But it had to be primed in order to run well. Sometimes we have to be primed when our prayer life is cold. When it doesn't run well, we have to have the fuel poured in. And I hope that what we're sharing today is fuel for your prayer life. And it'll prime you a little bit. It'll get you started in adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And what I'm convinced of is if you get the first three right, the supplication, the intercessory prayer, the praying for your needs and for the needs of others, it'll be aligned with the will of God and it'll run very well. And so start with adoration, then confession, then thanksgiving, and supplication. You'll begin to talk to God. He'll begin to talk to you. It'll be an ongoing conversation that will change your world. It'll help you breathe a lot easier in your spiritual life. Let's pray together.